Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, this is the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast, and I'm your host, Norm. And on this episode, we're going to take a look at some games of late. I'm going to see what's trending, what's new, and what's on the crowdfunding scene. And this is a review episode. And I'm going to be taking a look at Tinner's Trail and Corrosion. I, I got nothing funny to say. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by... Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They're the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award, presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. Let's get into some games of late. And lately, I've been playing some Bruges. Uh, We played Bruges last Wednesday night, uh, Gamer's Garage. Yeah, sounds trashy. But uh, yeah, Bruges, let's get some details first. So uh, if you don't know, it's uh, designed by Stefan Feld and published by Z-Man Games. And this is the copy. I have the copy that is out of print and uh, everyone's waiting for the Queen's version. So this is a two to four players, six plays about 60 minutes. And uh, it is uh, Bruges in the 15th century. And uh, it's it says culture and commerce flourish and make the... Belgian Hanseatic city into one of the wealthiest cities in Europe. Uh, It's a Euro game. It's, uh, okay, well, here's the thing with this game, though. This is, okay, first of all, I adore this game. I love this game. Um, It is probably came out in, let's see here, where's the date on this one? 2013. Okay, so you do the math. Um, But it is a multi-use card. And with this multi-use card, it can be of several different actions or, or, or things to do. And uh, it also acts as a, a personality that has a special power that ha- inhabits a house for points. And, and the, the, the person has points. The house gets points. The, oh, there's just so much uh, Feld going on in regards to, now not blatant point salad, but there are like these tracks, these kind of different things that you can go and get points in. And uh, uh, what's really cool about this game too, in in regards to scoring, is that there's awards that are determined at the end of every round. Who has the most personalities on the board? Who has the farthest uh, movement on the prestige track? And who has built the most canals? And I learned an important lesson on this one. Never get involved in a canal race with Dave. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, after, because we played four-player, and uh, Jeff uh, from Amazing Stories Comics here in Saskatoon, Jeff um, 
I think it was like the last turn, had one of these cards, personality cards, that gave him points for all of the, uh, um, uh, the, the bad things. I forget what they're called again, but there's these five different bad things that can happen that negatively affect all of the elements of the game. And he was right at the point of having, if you get three of something, it's like there's a fire. If you get three of another thing, there's an infestation and it affects different tracks negatively, of course. But Jeff played a card where he scored points for all of these um, uh, uh, negative event tokens on his board. He just destroyed us, okay? Um, but I learned that important lesson. Canal races are expensive, and I should have. I want to play this again, like right now, so I can focus on a different strategy. That's how much I have. I have so much fun with this game. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I say if you get a copy, get a copy. But like it said, out of print, and everybody's waiting for the uh, Queen's uh, Games Kickstarter to come out. So, uh, if someone has an old copy and 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 they're playing it get in on this game it's so much fun um, it can be uh, take that but only if you're not paying attention to the the ability for somebody to smack you in the teeth with a certain personality or card or something right so it's all up and up so yeah Bruges Stefan Feld uh, Z-Man Games is the copy that I have uh, with the expansion but I haven't played the expansion yet so there you go the next game that I, uh, the game of late, and it's sitting right in front of me because I just finished playing it uh, for, uh, I think this is like my fourth play, and uh, it is Intrepid, came out in 2021, uh, designed by Jeff Beck and Jeff Krause, published by Uproarous Games, and this is, you know what, I'm just going to read it to you because uh, it is, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I love my it's space. First of all, it's a space theme. I love space games. So Intrepid is a game about surviving 220 miles above earth aboard the international space station. Players take the role of astronauts from a variety of nations, bringing their unique technologies to bear. Players must work together to generate enough life sustaining resources each round all while working to resolve the disaster they are facing. This is such a fun game. Um, it is, uh, uh, like it says, it's a cooperative game. And in my books, every cooperative game is a soloable game. And uh, it has all of the stuff that I like. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I know, I know deep down, I have this, this relationship, this correlation, this curse with dice now <laughs> there's randomness that i can deal with and randomness that i can't deal with the randomness i can't deal with is the one that is on the back side of it that determines an outcome but the random randomness i can deal with is on the front side when i roll the dice and then i can decide how to use this dice and in what circumstances this dice is effective or ineffective so um yeah, it is exactly what it said. You are aboard the International Space Station. There are four um, areas uh, of uh, function that you have to control or you're done. And that is nutrition, oxygen, climate, and power. And each time, each, uh, like it says, each person represents a country that has an asymmetric uh, uh, a way of playing this game. And uh, 
the the more that you uh, like, like a good tra- uh, like a good track progression game, the more you advance or the more you scaffold in your ability to uh, have access to more powerful tiles, the more you know the resources you accumulate and the more successfully you get and and uh, the the more width that you create in regards to the choices you can make. So I've been talking about the tiles, the tiles. So uh, pick, basically picture the International Space Station and where all these solar panels are. That is where um, you have on the left-hand side a 4x4 grid of space of 16 tiles and, and on the other side, the same thing, right? Some, the, the, the symmetry to the, uh, the uh, solar collectors. Now, uh, each row from uh, on the left side, right side is one, to, 1 through 4 and then 5 through 8. That comes into the effect of when events happen. Uh, sometimes, like in meteor shower, sometimes you'll roll a D8 and go, okay, the, the row at 7 is all going to take damage from a meteor shower. And all of those components in that area are disabled for the turn. Uh, you have to pivot so fast and precise in this game in order to uh, do what's basically... I mean, it's like a co-op game. There's... So many different ways to lose, and there's one way to win, right? And uh, you have to accomplish three missions. And once you start a mission, uh, in certain circumstances, it's you know it could be uh, uh, repair uh, some air quality control stuff. So you're going to have to try and accumulate a lot of certain resources every round for four rounds, I believe, four or five rounds, and each round. You need to generate more and more to accomplish this mission. So there is a dogpiling of problematic uh, uh, events and compounding uh, um, disasters that you have to take care of, or you die in space. So yes, very. I mean, it. Um, I mean, I got a couple things I'm not crazy about, but it has not. It's not in the control of the designer, and that is. Uh, the, there's some cupping of the boards, and I, I don't usually have an issue with that, but the, uh, with this board, there's this really cool dial, and uh, once the board cups, then it's, yeah, it just becomes kind of, you know, eh. So, uh, yeah, that's my only complaint, and it's just because maybe I'm in a place that, uh, <laughs> I live on the prairie, so the, the all the humidity is probably getting sucked out of the cardboard, and it's going, I wrinkling right so i get it i get it so i'm just gonna say sorry to the cardboard um well yeah there you go so like i said that is intrepid um designed by jeff beck and jeff kraus published by uproarious games and i kickstarted this so i did my research i did my homework and i'm very happy i'm gonna keep playing this and and uh soon enough i might uh, drop a review of intrepid so thanks This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. 
Well then, let's see what's trending here on BGG. And I'm very, I, I got a, a text uh, that something was arriving in the mail. A Kickstarter was coming in. And uh, yeah, the Tiny Epic Dungeons is trending. Uh, it is being, uh, well, you know, <laughs> it could have already been in the States for, I don't know, six weeks ago for all I know. But finally, the, uh, the, the, the mail got to Canada. And uh, so Tiny Epic Dungeons, yeah, Scott Alms, published by Gameland Games. And of course, it's that Tiny Epic series. My favorite of that series is still Tiny Epic Galaxies. Um, and uh, it must be this dice love-hate thing I have. Intrepid, the dice, love and hate, right? Uh, Tiny Epic Dungeons, though, uh, it's, the, it's a fully cooperative dungeon crawler. Uh, for me, at least, what sold it was the solo ability, and it says here. I'll read the. I'll read what the publisher provided because you know they did some really nice work in Tiny Epic Dungeons. Players control a band of heroes exploring a treacherous dungeon in search of the fearsome dungeon boss. Heroes make their way through the dungeon one room at a time. Around every corner, goblins and ferocious minions seek to block the hero's path. Where there isn't an enemy, traps are set, ready to spring on even the most prepared hero. So, um, it's yeah, it's hitting all the right words for me. Co-op game, dice rolling, uh, modular board, solo ability, uh, and I mean, it's a it's a it's a genre that I I totally totally love. Is that uh, is that dungeon crawler, the epic? High fantasy dungeon crawler, and it has uh, it. It's got minis to paint, so I can't wait, can't wait to get this to the table. Um, and uh, but I'm not going to think about it. I just I'm not going to think about it. So yeah, Tiny Ambic Dungeons, uh, Scott Alms, and published by Gameland Games. Let's have a peek at what's new. Well, you know it's not hot off the presses, but it's still new. And it's still new, very new to me. And uh, that is Unmatched Battle of Legends Volume 2. Uh, designed by Noah Cohen, Rob Davio, Justin Jacobson, uh, Chris Leader, uh, and uh, published by Restoration Games. And this one is, I, I'll get, <laughs> I can't even speak right now. I'm so, so fired up for this. I'll read the, uh, the information or the description provided because it's, you know, they put some good work into it, as I said before. In battle, there are no equals. Unmashed is a highly asymmetric miniature fighting game for two or four players. Each hero is represented by a unique deck designed to evoke their style and legend. Tactical movement and no-luck combat resolution create a unique play experience that rewards expertise but just when you've mastered one set, new heroes arrive to provide all new matchups. So in this one, I have volume one. So I have this slight feeling that I'll be having this one in my library too. So volume two features four heroes. Uh, Yenenga, Achilles, Sun Wukong, and Bloody Mary. And uh, the, the, first, the first volume had such you know, all around the corners of probability in regards to the characters you could bring in from, from Alice in Wonderland to, you know, Sinbad. This one is, is, yeah, 
yeah, this one is just as unique, just as uh, 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 interesting, sorry, not interesting enough, um, uh, memorable enough for me to, uh, you know, want to do a little bit of homework and see, uh, you know, what uh, Achilles, man, I know Achilles, Bloody Mary, I know that, but the other two, I'm not too sure, so I'd probably want to go check that out and do a little bit of Googling to see, uh, see what the background of that is, but yeah, unmatched. What I've got the uh, I got the Bruce Lee expansion, and uh, they that is such a fun system to explore because there's so uh, there's so many other uh, uh, um, mini expansions. I would say there's Sasquatch and Red Riding Hood. Um, the there's the Cobble and Fog. That's the one that I'm really interested in, in too. So I might have to go do some shopping. So yeah, there we go. That is uh, new to me and to, to a lot of people too. Uh, Unmatched Battle of the Legends. Battle of Legends Volume 2. And just before we move on to the reviews, let's see what's going on in the crowdfunding scene. And uh, on GameFound, uh, let's, <laughs> already I'm looking at this thinking, uh, I might have to click on this before I'm done this uh, recording session. Uh, it is... Purple Haze, um, designed by Bernard Grabowski and published by Phalanx Games. Phalanx, very happy with that company. Uh, the, um, where is it? Uh, Rocket Men, the Martin Wallace game is published by them, and I really enjoy that one. So, boom, there's one big check for me already. So, um, Purple Haze, the cover of it, I mean, if you understand your pop context it's a Jimi hendrix song uh Jimi hendrix of the era of the uh, vietnam war so i'm gonna read their description and then we'll go from there so purple haze is an immersive story creation campaign game for one to four players that drops you into the heart of darkness vietnam 1967 you lead a squad of u.s marines through the dense jungles flooded rice paddies, and straw-thatched villages of a war-torn country. Gut-wrenching choices will determine the fate of you and your mission, showing if you have what it takes to survive. It is in part a story creation game, uh, in part a tactical combat game, and in part a campaign game. Your decisions determine the story. Your uh, Your tactics decide the outcome of life and death firefights your men will suffer some won't make it home those that do will get wiser get tougher the goal complete the mission and get out alive now uh, as i was reading this in my head i'm thinking okay i gotta go to game found and i gotta click this thing because i'm in yay uh like as far as the mechanisms go there's area movement uh there's it's a cooperative game there's dice rolling there's events uh the th- I mean, the theme, I'm a history social studies teacher. Of course I'm going to be drawn to a historical event of this nature. And, uh, you know, I just might have to get it to, you know, see how... Yeah, of course I'm going to get it. Yeah, who's who am I kidding? When this is... I'm clicking this because it's got 14 hours to go, so I might even have to cut this a little short. Now, I'm sure if you miss the opportunity to uh, crowdfund this uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to hit the shelves because uh, the uh, Martin Wallace game did 
And uh, so it, it, if, it, if you miss, don't panic. Just go talk to your friendly local game store and see if they can bring, bring it in. And I, I'm talking about Purple Haze, designed by Bernard uh, Grybowski and published by Phalanx Games. Hi. If you like the content we're creating and the podcast episodes we're producing, please leave a happy rating on the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift and would also help others find our podcast when they search for board game podcasts. And if you have the time, check out our new YouTube channel where we have new content every few days. Just search Cardboard Conjecture on YouTube. Thanks, eh? And you're back. This is Cardboard Conjecture, and we're going into the reviews. And I'll be reviewing Tinner's Trail, designed by Martin Wallace, art by Javier Gonzalez Cava and O.C. Haikala. I hope I said that properly. And published by Alicat Games. It is a 2021 release. It plays one to five players. It says it is between 60 and 90 minutes, and that's kind of accurate. Uh, ages 14 and up. And it, um, I mean, I'm not going to talk about its complexity because that's always subjective, right? Right. So um, as we always get into when we do the reviews, we like to, uh, I like to go into a uh, four-step process. And uh, I just completed the first step, which is uh, the game details. And after that, we'll go into an overview and the nuts and bolts, then opinions, and finally, we'll finish with some conclusions. So, before I start, just want to make a quick mention that uh, Tinner's Trail was uh, previously uh, a 2008 publication. And uh, the difference that I'm seeing right away is it's a three to four player, but essentially, or conce- conceptually, uh, kind of the same thing. So, Martin Wallace came back. Uh, with uh, uh, with the uh, Alicat Games and came out with a revamped or an updated. So uh, let's get into the overview. And I always like to read what's provided by the publisher because they take the time and they take the attention. So, uh, it, yeah, Tinner's Trail. Introduction. Tinner's Trail is set in Cornwall during the early 19th century and focuses on the tin and copper mining industries that made the country famous. It was during this century that Cornwall became one of the most important mining areas in the world. It produced the tin that was used in many alloys and the copper that was used to clad the ships of the Royal Navy. It was the demand for more efficient water pumps in the mines that led to the development of the steam engine, which in turn led to the first steam trains. Um, And then uh, going on, arsenic was a valuable byproduct widely used in a variety of other countries especially the emerging cotton industry in Lancashire. When Cornish mining went into decline, Cornish men moved around the world, taking their valuable skills with them and helping to shape the modern world of mining. The name of the game refers to the long walk that miners had to make from their homes to the mines. The path to the mine would be known locally as the Tinner's Trail. So... Um, uh, the aim of the game. So each player represents a growing mining operation in 19th century Cornwall, seeking to profit from the rich tin and copper deposits of the region. Over the course of four rounds, players will build mines, acquire developments, extract ore, 
sell their tin and copper, and invest the proceeds to earn points. The player with the most points at the end of the game is the winner. So, yeah, there you go. There's the overview. There is a, how, how do you uh, win the game? Victory points, okay? Now, um, let's, uh, let's quickly go through some uh, the mechanisms of what to do. So this game uh, is, I, I mean, I'm going to, you know, lay it down on the line here. I love Martin Wallace. So, and I kickstarted this game and had some expectations. So before going into that, let me just kind of describe to you visually, or in your head at least, your own vision, uh, what's going on in this game. So uh, yes, you're mining, you're selling on a market, and uh, you're trying to make victory points. So what you have is the peninsula of Cornwall, and this peninsula is divided into 25 different regions because it plays one to five. Cool thing, it scales down. So I play solo. I haven't played, I'd love to play it at full count just to experience the absolute chaos and, uh, and takeaway moments that can happen. So um, you have this peninsula, you have this region, um, and uh, the regions are divided into A, B, C, and D zones, depending on the number of players. There are random tiles uh, that go into these areas that will uh, populate the auctioned off area. And in populating it, it there's three things that go in, uh, copper, tin, and water, because that starts this whole process, and I'll get to that in the actions, starts this whole process of uh, deciding what's the most efficient, because it comes down to money. You want to try and extract the, the ore out of the ground when the market is just right to maximize your profits so that you can buy the right amount of victory points. So, like I just mentioned, uh, at the top of the round, you have two markets. You have the tin market and you have the copper market. And the tin market is the cheaper of the two. It, it, in the, uh, from a scale, a four-spot you know, four scale, it goes from four pounds to seven pounds, and underneath it is the, is the copper. Now, the copper uh, sells for higher, but it's, it's more swingy because it goes from two, four, eight, and ten pounds. And uh, at the top of the game, you roll a certain amount of of uh, uh, um, specific dice to determine where in that round that market is. It could be at, tin could be at four pounds or it could be at the top spot of seven. Same thing for copper, two and 10. So uh, depending on the top of the round, you might, I mean, you might not even want to take any ore out of the ground. You might just want to prepare for the next round. So in talking about preparing, how do you do this? Now, the cool thing about this is there's, uh, you have no player board. All you have is your, your, uh, your mines, and a few other components uh, related to scoring. And um, the, 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 what tracks how many action points, I guess, you have is, is time. And on a track uh, from left to right are, I think it's about nine, nine or ten, yeah, nine or ten uh, intervals. And each interval is, re is referenced as a uh, pocket watch. And uh, so building a mine... So I'll go through, quickly go through this. There's building a mine, cost you two, right? And then there's extracting ore, and then there's uh, um, um, uh, putting miners, have, building a port, putting a train, uh, adding an uh, adit and a steam pump. And uh, all of those things uh, are significant to the ability of you taking that ore out of the ground because you need to have a mine. And, and how you need to have a mine, and this is the cool thing, about uh, that I'm appreciating a lot about this game, even with the, uh, the um, solo robot, I guess, um, is 
there's an auction element, and I suck at auctions. So uh, when you, if you uh, choose the action of build a mine, then it goes to auction at everybody at the table, and you have one shot in order to purchase that mine. Now, the power actions will cost more time, and the, the less powerful actions will cost one unit of time. Um, extracting ore, that's dependent on, and this is the cool part, because I, was, I mentioned about the fact that you might not want to extract any ore in a whole turn, and you might want to just get yourself ready to do that. And in doing so, there's pick actions, and pick actions tell you how many pieces of mineral you can take out of that mine. Now, simply building a, a mine is two pick actions. Uh, you can put one miner on your spot and advance another pick action. You could build a port. Now, building a port will remove a water from your mine and will provide you another pick action because now you can export more. Uh, a train will do the same thing, and a train's kind of cool because a train will uh, take water from the central area and all the adjacent areas. And I mean, it's, and it's, it's an abstraction of the idea of the steam technology, and I like it. I mean, if you go any deeper, then this becomes a deep game. Um, and then the audit, the, or sorry, the adit. The adit is like a culvert system that is connecting these mines together to make them more efficient. And in doing so, there's a water reduction, and um, by uh, building these tunnels, they often found more ore. So you get a little boost. And then the last one is, uh, is purchase a steam pump and extract some water because here's the key where, and, and I mean, I was getting to it, but it's all connected together because when you extract ore, it, the, what it costs you is all dependent on how much water is in the mine. Now, first of all, you have to determine how many units you can take out on that mining action. So let's say you just have a, a simple mine and you have two pick actions or two, two pieces that you can pull out. And if you have two cubes of water, that means that each piece is calling, costing you two pounds. So to take those out costs you four pounds. Here's the really interesting part. Once you do a mining action, the simple action of mining adds a water, okay? And uh, that is in itself kind of one of those ideas where you, you look at this mine that's plentiful, but when and how do you um, start accessing this resource to turn it in for the most uh, profitable market exchange? Now, let's, um, and I kind of, I'm already kind of getting into, uh, into the, the, the real depth of it. And uh, I'm going to kind of change gears now because I'm going to get into unique mechanism later. But um, yeah, uh, once you finish, once you go to the end of that track, that's when the end of the turn happens. You have four turns. Here's the cool part with the scoring part. Um, the first person to pass gets first position of the scoring choices. Now, it's basically you pay 10 pounds or five pounds to purchase a value, uh, uh, you know, a great value. 10 pounds will get you, let's say, 20 points. Five pounds will get you 10 points. Well, the second place person has less of a maxed out point uh, uh, ability. So you might want to pass early just so that you can cash out your, um, your uh, mining, let's say your, the economics of mining or the profit that you make because uh, you, yeah, that's how you make your points. Now here's the cool part. You don't want to sell all your money or you don't want to spend all of your money buying points because 
You're going to need money for the next round to uh, buy more mines, to extract ore out of the ground. So there's that decision point there as well where, what do I do? How do I proceed in regards to how many points do I get? This is, and then as the game progresses each round, the point value drops. So there's incentive to get some, some ore out of the ground right away, right? Um, let's move to opinions. And uh, for the opinions, it's always outside in. Let's look at that box. And it is, um, it's not the, this, it's not what we call the ticket to ride box. It's the, uh, it's the 11 by nine uh, and two inch tall kind of box. So it's a, it's a narrow ticket to ride. Uh, the art, I, you know, I'm not too, part of me was kind of, you know, it's, it's a, it's a Euro game. Art doesn't count sometimes, but this one drew me in, um, for the fact that it represented visually everything that I was getting into in this game. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I have no complaints. The art's great. Um, moving on, let's go into components and, uh, it's like, I keep mentioning it's a Euro. Um, so the, you know, you got your cubes, uh, there's cards, uh, and, uh, the cards are uh, connected to when you auction off a, an area like to, to get a mine, uh, each player is able to contribute a matching category card. So if you're, if you're auctioning a mine in the A zone, you will have an a, a specific hidden A card where, uh, and all these, every time you auction off, you have to have one of these cards, which will either increase the minerals or reduce the water or add a miner or a port or a train onto that property to increase its interest and value during auction. So the, the cards were great. Everything in this box, no complaints about the components. Uh, nice chunky uh, cardboard board. And uh, the tiles, yeah, nice and chunky. Um, the, as far as the graphic arts uh, or, the, or the ability to read, everything was fine. Nice big letters, everything seemed, and, I, I, and as I mentioned before, it's not a heavy game. I think this is a, a easily a family game where you could introduce this idea of market economics to your children, okay? Um, moving along. So game system, game style. I kind of mentioned that ahead, so I'm not even going to get into that. Uh, I kind of broke it down as to how it goes from beginning to end on your turn. And um, yeah, I, I like it. I like it. I, uh, <laughs> now again, there's a, again, everybody who gets a Kickstarter is always apprehensive about not liking a game they get because then that means they were wrong. And uh, so uh, my first play, I got to admit, my first play, I was thinking, is this, is, I don't know, is this the game that I thought I was getting? And then once I played it more and more and discovered that uh, there's, there's, there's some hidden depth to this game in regards to where do I go? Where do I spread out? Because you want to have uh, uh, the ability to have connected minds that produce really fast because, like I said, with the audit and certain things, you can uh, uh, community-wise in your minds uh, affect their proficiency. So, yeah, uh, unique mechanisms. Um, well, you know what? I don't know if it's unique per se, but uh, I like how the 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 time in regards to each round is 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 related to time, and uh, I also like the connectivity that has with the uh, market points at the end, 
because, you know, maybe that's the one I want to focus on is, is when you spend your, your, your pounds or your, your, your profit on points, you have to decide what your investment chunk is going to be for the next round. And, and, uh, and it all comes down to that, that uh, tin and copper uh, um, uh, uh, market, uh, you know, if the market's low, it's going to change everything. If the market's, you know, maxed out, then your choices are going to be very much, uh, <laughs> let's see, not scripted, but directed for profit. Um, does it all connect? I, yeah, I mean, I'm a history teacher. Uh, I could get into the whole idea of why uh, why the Industrial Revolution was significant to the region of Great Britain because of the coal and and everything else and and Newcomen and Watt and the whole steam thing, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to say that it did its job for me in checking off the valid parts of what I understand from that history, and uh, it also checks off the parts for me of of economic games and. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think it does all connect. I like it. Uh, conclusion, Martin Wallace, one of my, I think my top does favorite designer. Um, now, again, I have a lot of Martin Wallace games that they're not all, you know, home run hitters. Uh, but this one, I'd say it's, it's comfortable on the middle shelf. I enjoy it. I want to play it at a higher player count to experience what it's like to be pushed around economically because uh, the, the AI of the card-driven system, now nothing wrong with that AI, but there is no sentient or tactical thought put into all the choices. They make it, they, they do a good job, right? Don't, don't get it wrong for the people who like solo. They do a really good job, but uh, sometimes you're having to uh, in, intuit the right decision for the for the AI. So yeah, that is Tenor's Trail, uh, designed by Martin Wallace, published by Alley Cat Games, and it is comfortable on the middle shelf, and it might be climbing. This episode is supported by the incredible team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team to ensure their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer, new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Board Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Now, my uh, second review, the game I'm reviewing, kind of thematically follows uh, this industrial revolution thing, maybe, maybe, and kind of give it a steampunk edge. And uh, I'm talking about Corrosion, designed by Stefan Bauer and uh, published by Deep Print Games and in North America here. Uh, Capstone Games. Capstone. On a roll. Love. Love Capstone. Um, so... We, uh, as I always say, got to break this down quick for you. We're going to talk about, uh, in the review, going to talk about game details. Then I'm going to go into an overview and the nuts and bolts of the game. And after that, have some opinions and follow that entirely up with some conclusions and give you uh, the rating system, top shelf, middle shelf, 
bottom shelf or trade pile. So here we go. Well, let's get started. So like I said, corrosion um, uh, overview. I just I, I go straight to the description because uh, a lot of good work has been put into it and got to respect it. So in corrosion, each of your man uh, each of you manages a factory and deploys engineers to build up diversified scoring and production engines. In the steam-filled air, however, your biggest enemy is time because most machines and gears rust away quickly. So you are well advised to uh, also produce chrome gears and invest in rust-proof and powerful chrome machines. On your turn, you can either play an engineer card or turn the corrosion wheel of your factory. Playing engineers mostly gains you new machines and qualified engineers. Other players can copy your engineer's action by playing an engineer of the same suit but a higher grade. Turning your corrosion wheel puts your machines to work and returns engineers to your hand, but also causes old gears and machines to rust. To be successful, you must cleverly coordinate your engineers and corrosion wheel and smoothly shift from one efficient engine to the next. The game end is triggered once the special point supply or the award supplier run out. Then, whoever was able to score the most points with their machines and awards wins. So, there you go. That's the overview of it. And uh, so the mechanisms um, and, and what you do in this game. So on your turn, like uh, to, to give you a big description on this, um, you have... Uh, as was mentioned, chrome parts. So you've got your market, and on the top of your market, you'll have chrome parts, and there's going to be um, low-grade chrome parts and high-grade chrome parts. And those grades, that's the bulk of where your point... Or not, well, yeah, that's the bulk of where your points come from, but that's where the, uh, uh, the systems kick in for the awards because there's multiple awards in regards to you being able to collect in your engine... Uh, a sequence of parts or, or a group of parts or a category of parts, okay? Keep that in mind. Um, and engineers too. So uh, on, on this market board, you have the chrome on the top with the two uh, low-grade, high-grade, and underneath you'll have your uh, qualified engineers, and then you'll have, um, I can get my little notes here, and then you'll have uh, your one-shot parts or your one-shot machines and your turning machines. And your one-shot machines are... Uh, uh, machines that fire off on, on the third... <laughs> I'll get into this description of how, this, uh, how, how the, uh, uh, the, the factory board works in conjunction with your player board. So um, going down, that's your market, right? So you've got your engineers, you've got your one-shots, and you've got your uh, turning machines. Turning machines kind of cool. So... You, I, I mentioned that you have your factory board. In front of you, you'll have your player board, your factory board. Your factory board is, that's the blueprint. That is the, the factory floor of your engine. And it's a square, and you basically are building on the outside of this square. And within this square is a wheel. And that wheel's going to rotate because it'll have, again, it'll be bisected into, uh, I think bisected, or it'll be cut up in four pieces, <laughs> uh, one being X and then one, two, three. Those numbers will coordinate with your engineer cards and also uh, the idea that in that third space, which accounts for this time, 
okay? And I'll kind of connect that together as I'm going along here. Um, in that third space is where on the turn where you're collecting gears or where you're collecting uh, the one-shot engines or the turning engines, they get installed because it's a factory, right? It's not, it doesn't happen instantaneous. There's, uh, depending on the, 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 the type of engine or the, the qualification of the engineer, uh, they could either take one time slot, two time slots, or three time slots. And those slots are the edges of that, uh, of that square factory floor. Now, the cool part is the steam function. So the steam has um, a, a, basically a, an ability to um, bring power to uh, an engine that is just basically a general engine. So you can use steam to push those uh, uh, um, one-shot engines or your turning machines engines or even your engineers forward in this progression of time because, as was mentioned in the description, on your turn you either play an engineer card to go get a machine part to put on your factory floor or you spin the time clock, or as I call it, the punch card. Because as you turn this, if that X falls into a slot that has uh, any gears, okay, um, basically the X spot is uh, timeout, right? The, t the, the timing of your, uh, your engineers, they get taken back to your hand. If there's any one-shot machines, they expire. Or, or if you've activated them by spending parts to build these little machines, um, they reward you, but they have to have been built, okay? And so there's this timing thing. Uh, the uh, turning engines, that's basically this ongoing uh, uh, part of this machine that is very clever because uh, most of these engines, these little turning engines, every time you turn that wheel, which would be three times before you have to, before that machine part burns out, uh, you can either... Uh, produce a small gear, gear, a medium gear, or in conjunction with spending steam and other things, produce a chrome gear. Now, uh, the whole idea in this, I, I think thematically, is metal rusts over time, okay? But chrome, chrome does not rust over time because that's the idea of chrome is you, you coat it and preserve it. And uh, so... That being said, that's the essence of this whole engine building engine. And uh, yeah, there's such a balance in between do I invest in my engineer uh, hand? Because they don't come back to you right away. They could if you have steam, but you need to have a steam car to produce. Yeah, there's this, there's this eloquent or elegant, sorry, eloquent, maybe too. But there's this elegant balance of what do I need in the next round? Do I spend everything now to build a really good engine? Because there's going to be a recovery time. Every side of that factory floor, you know, there might be a, 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 a time slot or a side of that floor that there are no engines. There aren't because you just had didn't have the resources or the cards to go to the market to install those parts on on your factory floor system. Um, and the, now again, you, uh, you can probably hear in the way that I'm amped up about describing this, uh, this engine is that I love engine building games. And this is an engine building game broken down into cylinders now. 
And oh yeah, I, I totally did. I'm digging this game. So let's move on. As I said, uh, uh, how, how do you score points to win? Well, the, the bulk of the points come from your ability to install Chrome parts on your player board. Now they cost a lot. There's a lot of Chrome pieces. There's a lot of uh, uh, medium uh, gears and small gears, which means that you have to have this production floor producing a lot for you to get to those Chrome parts but they pay off in points. And uh, each one of these chrome parts has their own special power. Break, you know, special power break the game. Maybe, maybe not, right? Um, just the different way you can build this engine. Um, so yeah, uh, there's also the awards as mentioned in regards to how you, how you get points. And uh, for each, if you're the first one to, like there's two of the same awards, but there's one of the awards that is chained to a bonus and sometimes these bonus can be just that pivot that takes you over uh, your ability to cascade on your builds uh, uh, or producing these chrome parts uh, and the one-shot engines as well so that's how you score points and, if, and how do you win you just have the best engine and uh, if you I'm saying if you love engine building games your brain is gonna explode with this one so opinions uh, always like to start looking at the outside of the box and diving deep into the box. Outside of the box, yeah, it uh, it uh, gonna have a little sip of coffee. So the outside of the box, it looks like a steampunk kind of esque uh, uh, look at a panel or a part of a machine, and in the center you have this big, brilliant, shiny chrome cog, and within the cog you have a engineer and and hats off to um, capstone or whoever uh, if it was a team decision brilliant all the engineers all the all the people in the, are female brilliant 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 my daughter recognized that immediately so thank you so much um, so yeah um, that the box it it uh, it's for me at least uh, it it uh, it compelled me brought interest, brought me to the game, which, I mean, for me, I do some media studies, did the job, got that job done. Um, it's your basic ticket to ride size box, so that's about what that is. So the components, uh, lots, of, lots of cardboard parts, lots of cardboard uh, tiles, um, good cards. You got the, small, the smaller size cards. I, I forget what they call, you know, the term is, but... Um, Everything, as far as components goes, I have not one complaint. Nice and chunky, very tactile, very, yeah. You, you know you're holding a part when you're holding a part. So no complaints with the components. Uh, the rule book, yeah. It, the, it, the rule book for me uh, was very sensible. Um, the, it was very direct. And it got to the, for me at least, it, it, it got to the uh, point of, identifying you know one they they used a very good numeric system in regards to follow these steps so appreciate that all the time um re being able to reference it yeah fast fast so there's the book is great um i i i'm trying i'm trying to find a fault to it and i can't seem to find a fault to it so um it yeah it has to really be a blatant error for me to to not you know appreciate a rule book uh, game system game style it is an engine builder through and through 
Um, if you don't like engine builders, look the other way. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, this is an engine builder through and through. Now, here's the, here's the footnote. Here's the big kind of, you know, understand this. I've only played this solo. And uh, the solo system is, is good. It's great. It, it mimics uh, the depletion of the market, um, understandably. Uh, the what I do appreciate is uh, there's one of the one shot tiles that is the only way that you can get access to awards. And uh, if the AI picks it, then there's a timer where you have, I think, five rounds or five turns uh, to um, get to the award before the AI picks the best one off the board. And I like that that presented that presented a curve in the road or that presented a little challenge um, side challenge that I had to meet um, so yeah I did appreciate that um, but it it comes down to sometimes beat your best score and for me sometimes beat your best score is uh, it's like a scrimmage right uh, I'm just trying to get I'm trying to understand the game and I'm just kind of scrimmaging I want to play with other people at the table on this game so I can understand what that elbow nudging does right or that you know there's a tile in the market oh man would that work for my engine I hope no one sees that that would be very beneficial to my engine but I play with people that see very well <laughs> so um yeah that's that that's my next kind of like I'm uncertain I've, I love it I'm uncertain but I'm getting to conclusions already so I don't want to get that far um unique mechanisms I think this factory floor um, timeline or this idea of how time moves is, is clever, absolutely clever. Now, I'm not going to say that it's unique because, well, it's unique to me, I would say, because a lot of people have um, said, oh, yeah, Tzolkin has this kind of, you turn the wheel and it, it affects a, a, a cascading kind of, you know, idea of systems. Um, th yeah, I, I need to play that game too. I can hear everybody going, you haven't played that? Okay, um, so this factory floor uh, for, I would say, in, in, for a, a chronology system, this four-section chronology or timeline, I think that is great because the engineers will fall. If you've got a, re if you got a fantastic engineer card, well, it's probably going to be a three or a four, which means that when you play it, that engineer is not going to come back to your hand for a while unless you use some steam to advance them closer towards your, um, uh, um, it means sh like shorten the timeline kind of thing and get that engineer back into your hand as fast as possible. Um, see, and right away I'm, I'm off thinking, hey, next game I'm going to try this. So that's kind of says something to keep that, we'll put a pin in that in the conclusion. Um, so does this all connect? It's, an, it's, a, it's a factory floor making an engine, and it's an engine-building game. I, I don't know how, much, how more direct you can be in regards to theme and mechanisms connecting. Oh, yeah, this totally connects. And uh, it, that idea or that kind of idea statement of metal rests over time is well, well displayed and, uh, and translated in this game. Uh, yeah, let's go to conclusions. I, I, I think you've, if, if you've been listening to me, you know, banter on about this. Um, I like the game. I really like the game. 
the main point of this game, build an engine, get the best engine you can. Sometimes the market is, uh, makes it really easy to see. Sometimes the market makes it difficult to see. That's again where Steam comes in because you can use the Steam to get that market moving and have new things coming down the production line. Love it, right? It connects so well. Um, yeah, this game for me is definitely sticking around and I'm going to have to throw a big, big, big thank you to uh, Meeple Dungeon for, uh, do, you know, hats off. Thank you. Um, that was so generous and so beautiful of you. Um, this game, absolutely, it's, it's on the top shelf for me and uh, I think it's going to stay there because I've played this, man, going on eight, nine times now and I'm, I'm discovering a lot of different parts to the engine that that to me kind of I you know my brain goes oh if I can get that chrome piece in first and then oh yeah see already I'm thinking different ways to build this engine love it if you like engine building games yes you should give this a try or or um, you know do some homework go check it out go watch some videos but I absolutely adore this game and uh, I hope I hope I continue to play it and I hope I continue to feel the same way about this game. And uh, so, yeah. And uh, that being said, that was, uh, that was uh, Corrosion, uh, designed by Stefan Bauer and published here in North America by Capstone Games. And we've gotten to that part of the episode where I always uh, um, love to say thank you so much for listening to what I have to say about board games. <laughs> because uh, uh, we're still we're still in the pandemic. We're I mean things. A lot of people are are being very patient, and uh, things are looking better and better each day. And the gaming groups are starting to <laughs> starting to kind of come out in public and see the light of day. And it's so nice to be able to be at a table across from other people and reconnect. So um, yeah, thank you so much for being a part of this hobby and uh, listening to the podcast. I'm your host, Norm, and I'll catch you later. This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter, at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek, Guild number 3039.